Welcome to Everybody's Bad with Money. I'm AJ Schneider, founder and CEO of Beyond the Green Coaching, where we help people every single day heal their relationship with money. Join me multiple times per week where I bring you inspiring guests, solo episodes, and share tangible money and life tips you need to be your most confident, independent, and empowered self. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Everybody's Bad With Money. I'm your host, AJ Schneider. And here with us on the podcast today is Meredith Aaliyah Wells, who uses the pronouns they and she. Meredith is a touring actor, singer, dancer, and award-winning writer, best known for their performance as Punky Who and Dr. Seuss, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the musical, which I actually got to see in DC last December. This marked the first performance by a wheelchair user in a Broadway national tour. Other favorite credits include New York Theater Workshop, Cleveland Public Theater, Counterbalance, Dance St. Louis, Playhouse Square, Alvin Ailey City Group Theater, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and the Luminous Festival in Beijing, China. In addition to performing, Meredith is also passionate about fashion and co-founded Social Surge, a human-centered, gender-neutral, and universally designed clothing brand. For a backstage tour of life as a queer, disabled, and neurodivergent performer, subscribe to Meredith's newsletter, Message in a Bottle. There, Meredith shares everything from cardinal invite updates, rough drafts of original works in progress, to the occasional love letter about an area of life Meredith is cultivating more intention around, as well as links to the music, snacks, books, podcasts, shows, etc., getting Meredith through, and so much more. I personally subscribe to the newsletter, and I highly recommend. One of my favorite pieces from this episode was when Meredith said that getting their finances in order made them more present in their relationships. And to me, that really hits the nail on the head of why we do this work. It's, yes, it's about getting clear on your goals and feeling empowered and in control of your finances, but it's about being in relationship and being in relationships that serve us, that nourish us, that feel rewarding. And by being able to be present in your relationships, you're able to assess who you want in your life and who you don't and who fills you up and who drains you. And by getting your finances in order, you can become more present and clued into that. And Meredith really captures that reality so well. And I can't wait for you to listen to what they have to say. I hope you enjoy this episode. Please let us know what you think and let's dive in. Welcome back to Everybody's Bad With Money. I have a special guest with me, Meredith. I'm so, so excited to dive in and chat with you today. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Meredith, can you tell us a little bit about you? Yeah, of course. Uh, well, my name is Meredith, like AJ said, and i um, I'm a touring actor, singer-dancer, like the musical theater variety. I like to say that I do those things together, sometimes separately, depending on the job. Um, and I'm also a writer, and I like, I like fashion. I have a service dog, and I'm loosely based in Chicago these days. Yes, yeah, super loosely based in Chicago. You've been <laughs> traveling a ton. Where have you been in the last, since January? Oh my God, since January, I've been here and I've been to Seattle um, and then I came back here in a 
was doing The Little Mermaid. And then I just went to LA for a week and I just got back. <laughs> wow. What were you doing in LA? Um, I actually went to, uh, it's called the Rolettes Experience. It's like a big conference for um, like women and like femmes, like in wheelchairs. That's incredible. How do you even find something like that? Um, well, they actually kind of found me. I just like had posted a video of me dancing at a dance studio in LA and the founder of like the group reached out. They're like, Oh my God, have you heard of this? You should come. I was like, I've heard this like a long time ago when you invited me back when it was like a workshop 10 years ago with like 10 people. And now it was like 250. So that was amazing. It was a really great, uh, weekend of just like connecting with other people in wheelchairs and just like feeling like, wow, I don't have to, um, everyone understands. Everyone gets it here. (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. You know, it, it indicates to me like how powerful one sharing your story, but also like hashtags because Mm -hmm. what, whatever you put, they were able to find you again and, or maybe they've been following you and, and and it, and it brought like probably new friends, new connections, new collaborations in ways that wouldn't have happened had you not shared your story. Yeah, the whole thing was like really wild in the sense that I felt like there were so many people that I've been following for years or seen on the internet, knew of, but had never met in person and like got to meet all these people that, you know, I think are super rad and awesome. And like, they're all like super sweet and down to earth. <laughs> Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. What was your biggest, like, was there anyone when you were like nervous to me and you were like, oh, I think that you might have this or I, I don't know if you'll like, I don't know, anything come up for you? Um, no, not necessarily. Just because I think we all have being in a wheelchair in common. We are all there for like a common purpose. Um, so like I, oh, wait, okay. I take that back. Judy Human was there. I don't know if you know who Judy Human is, but she's like a huge reason why the ADA exists. Um, I was like fangirling when she signed my book. Okay, that's that's like the one exception. I forgot about that part. <laughs> but she's like an elder as far as, um, you know, the disability rights movement goes. And so it was like a real honor to meet her. She's wow. really fabulous. <laughs> wow. Oh, I have like chills. That's incredible. Oh, that's so cool when you get to meet a hero and you're like, wow, you're a real person. Yeah. I think I always get nervous when I meet people that I like really look up to just because they always say, don't meet your heroes. Cause like they'll never live up to your expectation. But Judy human was not that she was so kind. And like, no matter your age, just like gave everyone like space to like talk and like tell their story to her and things like that. Wow. That's so incredible. I only have like one vivid memory. I have two memories of meeting heroes. The first one was um, Sarah Jessica Parker (laughs) when she was playing the princess in Once Upon a Pea. Mm. Is that what it's called? Once Upon a Mattress. Once Upon a Mattress. Mm-mm. And my, they were like taking a really long time and she wasn't coming out. And my mom barged, opened the door and <laughs> she was like kind of almost naked. And it was like a very traumatizing experience. And she like did not want to come out. But then she, I think she like signed them inside and they gave them to us. And then the other one was in college. I met Nicholas Kristoff and he's a reporter for the New York Times. Well, he's actually retired from the New York Times 
And he writes unbelievable stories of the injustices in the world and they're relatable. And, and he, can, he, he can go anywhere from like women's rights in Cambodia and enslaved prostitution to like why Olympians are, um, you know, Olympians. And <laughs> I met him in college and I just cried to him. Like, just was like, you're so inspirational. I hope to be you one day in some capacity. And I was just like hysterically crying. And he was like, I hope so too. Like, it was really nice. (laughs) Yeah, something I've kind of learned like as an actor is that like I need to learn. And it's like something that I like, I practice the more I meet like, I guess like notable people. Like I kind of like have to learn how to play it cool in case I'm like on set with these people or things like that. I mean, of course you can you know, be like, you know, I love your work, like to a certain extent, but it's like trying to hold back that fangirl sometimes is um, definitely a work in progress. (laughs) Yeah. 19 year old AJ was not cool. She was not chill and had no like decorum. So (laughs) I'd like to think 33 year old AJ could be a little cooler now when she meets (laughs) celebrities or very, not even celebrities, people of, you know, influence who, who actually help change the world. Um, amazing. So total sidetrack, but I (laughs) would love to learn and share your, your, your story with money and your journey and as far back as you want to take us, I'm here for all of it. Yeah, let's uh, dive in. I think, um, you know, through your course, I really learned that, you know, my money story really begins with my parents' divorce. Um, Mm. You know, one of the, um, you know, what I presume is probably lots, there are lots of reasons, but one of the reasons being, you know, money, um, why they separated. And so I feel like my money story really um, begins there. And then growing up, I, my mom got remarried when I was in third grade. And so I kind of lived this like almost like double life as a kid where I was experiencing both kind of upper middle class and lower middle class like lifestyles, depending on like which parent I was with. And I really kind of got to see how, like, I don't know how at that time, like the other half lived, like, um, and it was like nothing like crazy, but just like, it was definitely a distinct difference between, um, those two lifestyles. And that really kind of plays into my life later on. And what I learned during that time is something that, you know, I think about still now. But, um, yeah, fast forward to like college, um, college was always something that was kind of expected. I would go to college. Um, and I also say that my parents divorce is the start of like my money story because in my parents' divorce agreement was that my mom would pay for 50% of my college. My dad would pay for 50% of my college. That was a done deal long before I was even putting in applications Um, so I was, you know, lucky that, um, they were, um, financially supporting me to go to college and they paid the 50, 50 while I was in college. Um, and then like my contribution while I was in school was that I had the work study job. Um, also I bust my butt to get good grades and do all the extracurriculars. And I also 
I remember taking a picture of it. I applied to so many scholarships and grants. It was probably like a four inch stack of applications. Like by the time I was done with all of them, like I really tried as much as I could to like not burden my parents with having to pay for my finances because I'm one of six kids. So I knew that, you know, there's going to be lots of kids after me. Um, Four of them are half siblings, but I digress. Um, Anyway, so college. um, I feel like as an artist, the thing that I always get asked about is like, oh, did your parents support you like um, doing the arts? Did you study this like in school? And the answer to that um, is yes. And but when I was applying to things, I definitely had some pressure from my family to like do a double major, like have a backup plan. Um, and it wasn't until I took my dad to one of my auditions and one of the professors from Emerson College was like, if you're going to make it in this industry, you have to go 100%. If you have a backup plan, like your life's going to be that backup plan, I'm yeah. telling you right now. And there's definitely a huge that mentality in the arts, which like, I agree and disagree with. I think everyone has their own path, but my dad completely bought into it, which meant that um, he was convinced, he convinced my mom and I didn't have to like choose another major that I really wasn't that jazzed about and ended up tripling. I ended up triple majoring in music theater and dance. So we were all in on the performing train and everything was like looking good. We were going to have this like great career after school. Right. Of course. Um, Yeah. Everything was like just dandy, just butterflies, roses. And of course, like life is not butterflies and roses. So a month into my studies um, is when I uh, became ill. I um, ended up being diagnosed with something called POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And I was really sick for a year um, without much explanation until I got that diagnosis. I got that diagnosis around the same time, became a wheelchair user. So my whole life plan was just kind of like flipped on its head. Um, And I mean, really the main lesson out of that whole story, because that's like a whole can of worms in itself, is that I kind of learned that when there isn't an opportunity being handed to you, like you need to create your own. And so I took on a graduate level thesis as an undergrad. I wrote, uh, performed and produced my own one person show, like produced it outside of school, took it to New York, closing night. This was something that I wrote in conjunction with my partner at the time. They composed the music. I wrote the... um, the book and lyrics. And uh, on closing night, I proposed, we got engaged. It was like, wow, oh my God, we're engaged. How old were you when this happened? I was 22. Oh my God. And I just want, before you go farther, because there's so yeah. much here, there's so, so, so much. Um, are you the oldest of six? I'm the oldest of six. Wow. 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 Okay. A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And then you have this vision for your life. When did you want to be a performer? Like since you were two, three, like how old were you? Um, I took dance classes when I was like really like itty bitty, kind of took a break from that. Um, but always like played instruments, was always kind of involved in performing in some way, shape or form. 
Um, and then in seventh grade, I was in my first musical and I was hooked. And I think about a year later, I started taking classes outside of just like our middle school production. And that's when I was like, I want to do this when I grow up. And, you know, at the time, everyone was just like, okay, yeah, 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 you'll grow out of that. And I just like never grew out of it. And that's kind of how I became an actor. <laughs> yeah. So most people, I think, would get sick and be like, oh, well, clearly this path isn't right for me, right? Like, this is not what I meant to do. And you were like, you were the total opposite. <laughs> and and I'm I'm curious if you wouldn't mind just diving in a little bit to what pulled you through that? Because I, I got to imagine it was very difficult. You know, this was not the freshman year you were ex- expecting to have. And, and what, what, came out of that experience that has led you to keep finding opportunity when there isn't any? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, I kind of glazed over it, but there was definitely a period of time where I questioned, I was like, is this, can I do this? Can I do this career path with this illness as a disabled person? Is the industry going to accept me? Like, are theaters even accessible? Like, just the physical buildings. I I mean, there were so many questions that went through my brain. Um, My way of kind of coping with it was the semester I started using a wheelchair. I wasn't taking any dance classes. I instead was really putting my focus towards other facets of theater. Um, I was taking costume design, scenic design, directing, all the kind of behind the scenes stuff and just dabbling and seeing if anything else... um, you know, lit me up at all. That was maybe a little safer, quote unquote, uh, of a job for me or something where my disability wouldn't have as much of a stake in whether or not I'm get hired. Um, and I like all those things, don't get me wrong, but it just, it did not even compare to how performing makes me feel. It just did not light me up in the same way. And I kind of just had this moment with myself where I was like, you know what? I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like I had no idea how I was going to do it. I just knew that if I never tried, I would never be happy. Wow. And I just, at that point, just had to take everything one step at a time. I love that. That's so mature for someone at 18 years old, 19, as you're working through it to that conviction is and you know maybe that all or nothing mentality kind of that help maybe that helps with that. I agree. There's some. There's definitely pros and cons to it, especially when it comes to people thinking that their finances have to only come from performing, <laughs> and that means that they're less of an actor, performer, an artist if they are getting income from other places. So we can dive into that later. But yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, that definitely seemed to to serve you. And so, okay, so you're at the top of the world. You've just performed your own production and you proposed. Yeah, and they said yes. Um, and the, the other thing to know is that I had landed a job right outside of college a month after I graduated, a full-time position in a concert dance company, a physically integrated concert dance company. So disabled and non-disabled, like the dream right outside a school gig. Um, So I proposed, they said, yes, three days later, I moved to Ohio. They still had another semester of school left because of like the track that they were doing. 
So I moved to Ohio. Um, and at this time, because I was living in Ohio and not in Massachusetts where my parents were, I had to get my own insurance. So I got on my own insurance kind of early. I like, I wasn't on it until like 26, like some people. Um, and that's when my journey with government assistance began. I was on SSI and SSDI, um, supplemental security income and supplemental security disability income, I think SSDI stands for. Um, I learned all this through you. So (laughs) you taught me. Yeah. And so, you know, with that came a lot of strict, um, like maximum incomes that I could make in a month. Um, you know, SSI, especially like you, um, you can't have over $2,000 in savings. You can't get married without potentially losing your benefits. So you don't have marriage equality, which is why I mentioned getting engaged because as soon as I was on SSI, like we were engaged, but I really couldn't get married at any time in the foreseeable future. Um, and um, yeah, I also... Um, qualify for something called TPD or total permanent disability discharge for my loans, Um, which sounds really great. It is really great. I'm really grateful to have qualified for this. Um, I should be done with my three-year evaluation period this September. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) So basically I qualified that like if my income is below a certain uh, number that for three years, uh, after graduating, I, it took a long time for all the paperwork to really go through. So, I mean, this didn't happen until 2019, um, which I graduated in 2017. So now it's an automatic thing that happens. They've passed some bills and things like that to make it happen faster. But for me, it took a while, which stinks because like, I was definitely in that criteria closer to when I graduated and it's been a little harder to finagle my life so that I'm not in this middle ground of not being able to qualify for government assistance, but not making enough that I can actually like live my life and like pay for my own insurance and things like that. So that was like a really big thing that played into just like my financial struggles, just to kind of like set up like where I was at, like when I started my adult life. Um, yeah. So there was all the government stuff. And I think the other thing that's important to know as far as that engagement is that I got engaged with nothing set aside for a wedding, <laughs> which, you know, I think about that now and I'm like, what was I thinking? Like I, um, you know, I was just, you know, in love, young, whatever, but Um, you know, I just think that's an interesting thing to note, um, and was definitely set on the company engagement. Six months later, they moved to Ohio. We're like doing life together. Um, and we had started, you know, saving up for a wedding that we didn't know when was going to happen because I was on SSI. Um, and then we made the difficult decision because I was still very ill, um, to take all the money that we had been saving for the wedding. And we decided to, um, put that money towards a service dog for me. And so the service dog was something that I went into thinking it would be a joint investment. And then two weeks after we got the dog, they broke off the engagement. Um, wow. <laughs> so that 
um, was definitely unexpected. Um, I mean, they had moved all the way up to Ohio. Like, I don't know. We've been together for so long. I really did not expect it. Um, and at this point, I mean, I can't take care of a, a small puppy, like in my physical state. Financially, I was thinking this is a joint investment. My life was a joint investment at that time. Right. And so I was really in a place where like, I couldn't even move out. Like I had to live with my ex for seven months after we broke up. What was that like? Oh, I don't really want to get like too much into it, but I'll just say that, um, you know, the broken engagement really like made its way also into my professional life. And so like, I really just felt like at work, I couldn't breathe at home. I couldn't breathe for those seven months. And even though that was like a really steady job, um, I left that steady job with no prospects and got out of Ohio and decided to be a digital nomad. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like, how, how is this person like doing this? Like I thought they didn't have money and I didn't, I did something called work away, which is basically working for your keep. So between like my, um, my disability check and working for my keep, like that is how I sustained myself for like that summer. It was not ideal, um, but it was better than the situation I was in. And I needed to get out of that relationship, that space. Um, and I think that whole experience, the reason why I bring it up, it's because, you know, during that time is like when I really made a vow to myself that, um, I would never rely on anyone financially ever again because it makes you stuck when you want to get out. And I never want to put myself in a position where like, I don't have the freedom to leave if I want to leave. I, I like, I want to emphasize star asterisk that how important what you just said is because no one should have to be stuck living with an ex for seven and a half months because of finances. And so at least the terms of your relationship were clear as in it was over for so many people. They just stay in relationships because they can't leave because of finances and, and, and getting to meet you, you know, close to closer to that version of yourself as, and getting to know you now, it's, it's, it's just incredible. Like when you prioritize getting your finances in order, that you get to be the person that you are destined to be and you get to shine and give more in in life. You know, you're not in survival mode. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Like I wish that I could say that like from that point on is when everything got better, but it was another like a year and a half until I met you. And like in that time I did start gigging again and doing more of the freelance thing, which was great. Um, and then COVID happened and I lost my job. Um, you know, the thing about being a workaway or is that you're really at the mercy of your hosts and with COVID, the uncertainty of everything, my host basically politely asked me to leave and find somewhere else to stay. And so I told myself I would never financially depend on someone ever again. So I was really hesitant to like go move back in with my parents, even though that was potentially an option. I also was like nervous about Am I going to catch COVID on the plane? You know, there was that whole conversation happening in my head. We really didn't know anything about this new (laughs) um, illness. And as a chronically ill person, like I, you know, didn't know how it would affect me personally. And um, so there's lots of details that I could share. But I mean, really, 
I ended up finding an Airbnb that um, they I was like renting month to month at a really reduced rate because no one was traveling at this time. So I oh, looked out. Wow. I actually had like a two a two story two bedroom like Airbnb. I actually lucked out really hard on that. Um, and you and I have kind of talked about how like I'm a master manifester like that. I'm not like I'm not always the best at manifesting like the cold hard cash, but like free tuition, free furniture popping up outside my house, free photo shoots, brand deals when I say that like I I want this fancy skincare, but I can't afford it. Like that sort of thing has always just been something that I'm good at. And so yeah, I manifested this great um this great living situation during COVID. It was really miserable for the two weeks when I didn't know what my housing situation was going to be. And that's something that's happened to me like quite a few times on my money journey, just like not having a lot of savings. I didn't have debt, but I didn't have savings. So there was a lot of times where, you know, I just, a gig would end or COVID happened and I just didn't have a backup plan for housing and my housing moving around a lot. I've just been in times where I'm like, oh my God, like where am I going to be living next week? (laughs) I have no idea. Um, So that was really stressful. Um, And... But during that time, I was like in this nice space. There's a lot of time of introspection during COVID. Um, it's finally just like feeling a little more at ease again. It's amazing that having like a steady income, aka like PUA at the time, because there was no performing happening, um, really did for my psyche. And um, at this time is when like I met my current partner. Um, and we had started like a long distance relationship. And, um, eventually we just felt like, well, it's not really safe to be like traveling during this. Right. And I didn't have anything tying me to Cleveland. In fact, Cleveland was the last place I wanted to be. Cause that's where everything else had happened. And so I decided to move to Chicago in the middle of the pandemic. And I was kind of like finally starting to create a home again. Um, I didn't move in like with my partner or anything. Like I, had like a studio of my own. (laughs) That's so impressive. And I think it's like, it's such a, you know, you were like, I will not be financially dependent on anybody. And you were true to your word. And even though it was a pandemic and it was going to be difficult to make friends and like navigate, you were like, I want to be closer to you, but I need to respect that I need to do this on my own. Yeah. And so I did that. Finally, it was like starting to create a home again. Like all of that has, um, was really great. And that's around the time that like I met you and, um, well, okay. (laughs) Everything was really great until I realized that my whole place was filled with mold and it was making me very sick. And, um, I like lost I was like, I had to get out of there, but I like didn't have the funds to like get out of there and get the treatment that I needed. And that was the point at which like I had made a vow to never rely on anyone financially ever again, but it was becoming very, very difficult. And my life was still unsteady financially. And I just kind of had enough. And I was like, I cannot live like this anymore. And that's when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm at my wit's end and I, and I need help. And, and yeah, what do you think was like the final where you were like, I've been trying this on my own for so long. It's time to call in an expert. I think for me, like, I, I want to say it was like when I had to pay a rent payment late, like that's not something I had ever done 
before, which is kind of surprising. Like when you hear my entire money story, like, wow, this person's always paid rent on time. <laughs> like my rent, quote unquote, was like paying for my keep, like all sorts of crazy stuff, but I never actually like paid a rent payment late. And that to me, that was just like too close to homelessness for me to be comfortable with. I just like, I was really just scared that I was going to lose the roof over my head. And I didn't really want to have to like fly back to Massachusetts and live with my parents because I like made this vow to myself to not rely on other people anymore. Um, yeah. So I would say like, that was kind of when I, my like financial rock bottom. Yeah. I, I think it's really powerful to hear that because we, I, we, we all have versions of it. Um, you know, mine was you know, a friend, you know, pressuring me, not in like a bullying way, just in like, let's go this excited way to like go travel. And I was like, if I do this, then I am going to suffer for so many months to make this happen and struggle and not be able to eat and not be able to make any other decision other than to go on this 10-day trip for what? And I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't keep, like I was like, I'll, I, I'll manifest that $500 for that flight. <laughs> like no problem. And then I will spend the next three months terrified of all and not be able to make any other decisions. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And that's finally when I like called my aunt and I was like, can, can you help me? Cause I just can't, I can't. And, and, and I was so close to being like, I want, I want to do it. Like, this is what I've always done. But I was, I was like, I have to do something different. This isn't working. Yeah. I think for me, like I keep talking about like this vow that I made to myself, right? Like, I think the thing that I finally realized though, is even though I didn't want to rely on anyone else financially, I didn't want to do this alone anymore. Mm. And I think that's been like the big difference is like not being afraid to like ask for help. Like I didn't grow up like, um, you know, with parents that really taught me much about like financial, like literacy or anything like that. Like money was just not something we talked about very much. Um, even though it was like something that was very heavily influencing a lot of my parents' interactions, um, it wasn't really something talked about. So I think just to connect with other people who are also, you know, getting their finances in order was just like really powerful in that way. Yeah. So, okay. So you decide I'm going to like find community. I'm not going to do this alone anymore what does, what, what starts to unfold for you? Yeah. So I took your course and you did, um, I did. (laughs) And, um, we've been working together and yeah, it's interesting. So I kind of touched upon how like the mold thing happened. And I, when I say like, I lost everything, I mean like every piece of furniture, everything that was porous, I had to get rid of. Like, it was basically like if you had a fire in your house, but you had to be the one to throw it in the trash. Um, Wow. So almost everything I had to get rid of. And so like, I really lost everything. Um, But I was setting myself up financially like the couple months before I finally was able to move out of that apartment. Um, And I always say like, I lost everything. I lost everything to gain everything I ever wanted because as I was leaving that apartment is when I booked um, my first national tour. And I'm so glad that I did the financial work before that, 
because I don't know that I would have known what to do with the kind of money that I was making. I just like never made that kind of money as a performer. And it was the first time I was finally uh, being compensated in a way that I felt like was true to the value that I bring as a performer. And I think that getting your finances in order really just kind of energetically says to the universe, like, yes, I know my worth. And I think it also has allowed me um, to like step into my most authentic self in the sense that I think a big reason why I didn't come out as non-binary for so long is because I wasn't really sure how my family would react to it, right? And I think I always just was like, okay, well, I always have like my family as like a backup if like everything hit the fan, right? If I absolutely needed it, they are there. Even though there's all these times where like I could have like done that during the pandemic and like I didn't, for some reason I was always in the back of my head is like, okay, if everything hit the fan, you have this. But like, what if you come out and they don't accept you and like you just don't have this connection to your family where you don't have that financial safety net there? Wow. But getting my finances in order, I was like finally able to be like, you know, it doesn't really matter like what they think of this. And thankfully, like they've been supportive, but um, I didn't have to worry, but it didn't matter if they accepted me or not, because like I was in a financial place where like I could support myself. Um, and there's been a lot of things um, since then like that, where I don't really care what other people think or like what my family thinks about my life decisions because like I'm the one financially supporting everything. So I can make my own decisions to be my own authentic self. Oh my gosh. I, I like, my heart is smiling so hard. Like I feel my heart like expanding out into my chest because, because that's why I always say like to be in choice you get to be in choice. And when you are not financially independent, you don't get to be in choice. We, I, you know, we were working with a client recently, um, me and the team, and it was a conversation around like, oh, my parents are getting really stressed about my job situation. And it's like, they have every right to be stressed about your job situation. They're funding your life. You know, if you want them to not be stressed about your job situation, you have to become financially independent. And I'm not saying that like every, that's the route for every person because some people's parents can comfortably afford to support their children forever. And that's totally, there's, there's no right or wrong. It's just, if you feel that you can't fully be yourself or there's fear that you won't be able to express yourself or sh- or share who you truly are, or make decisions that are are in your best interest. Then there's a power dynamic that's happening, and it's usually tied to control and and decision making because that's really the ultimate power, right? If someone's controlling your decisions, then they have all the power. Exactly. Yeah. So that's definitely been the biggest um, thing for me is just like being able to step into that, and I think that just getting my finances in order has just shown up in ways where knowing my own worth, like now I feel like everyone else sees that worth in a way that they didn't before. Um, you know, before I felt like I like (laughs) literally had to just like, I don't know, could not get myself in the door physically, metaphorically to auditions. Like I just, no one would even see me. 
And, um, you know, when I started getting my finances disorder is when like I was submitting for a couple of things and I was hearing back, they wanted me to tape. And I was like, this was like the first time that this was happening in like a long time. And, um, you know, since then, and since the tour, um, I do still submit for things and occasionally I hear back, but for the most part, people are reaching out to me now. And, um, I have an agent now. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's been really great. And that agent, you know, just helps me, you know, go for jobs that pay me more and protect me more. And, um, you know, I opened my high interest savings account. Like, I feel like I was thinking about this interview and just like, you know, like I'm not rich, like in like, I don't have a million dollars in my big account. Like, but like, just like where I started and where I am now is just so drastically different. But, um, I think the other big difference that I see now is that when you look at my when you look at my budget, when you look at, you know, my state, like my little, what are they called? <laughs> Buckets in my high interest savings account. Like you can tell what my goals are. Like, you know what I'm value. You can tell that like, um, you know, what I care about and what I want to see for my future based off of my finances. And that's not something that I could say, you know, two years ago. Oh my gosh. I, I feel like everything you say, like I just want to like bottle and like, I'm like, this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. Like, so what are some of your values? Like what are some of the goals that you're working towards? Yeah. Um, so, you know, you kind of asked me about the rock bottom as far as starting to work with you. Um, there was the rock bottom happening, but there was also like simultaneously like this high of like meeting someone like incredibly special and like feeling like I was not worthy of them because my finances were a mess. And I think when I found out that like they had their finances like in order, I was like, oh my God, this person, if they knew what my finances were, like they would not want to be with me. And that like, I hear that all the time. I also felt that way. And so um, you know, I think I, I don't know exactly like what, you know, this is going to look like. It's, it's a very vague fund, but it's like my love fund <laughs> and it's just like whatever, like the future, like, you know, whatever, like, you know, that next like step is like in that relationship, which is like something that I feel like I'm very much like not trying to just like go up the escalator necessarily and just like do what everyone else does and just like, um, create my relationship like to my own design. Um, but I do have like a fund for that, which is like really exciting to me. Um, and like, I do, you know, I've got my emergency fund and I, it's so nice to just know that like, even though like, you know, I, I lost my side job recently and uh, I had some unexpected medical expenses come up and like, it's not ideal obviously, but because like I've had like, you know, this nest egg, like, I'm not in a panic mode like I would have been two years ago. Like that would have, like, I wouldn't know how I was going to pay rent or eat if that happened two years ago. Yeah. Um, And so like, it's just really nice having that peace of mind now. And I think something else that I really value now um, is not just travel because I get to travel a lot because of my work, um, but vacations. 
I mm. like that that trip to LA was the first time that I had traveled without doing any work like remotely or like you know performing like I just literally like took a vacation and like didn't answer any emails text messages I had to do with work for five days and it was glorious I was like I need that and I need that more often (laughs) um so yeah I really just like am valuing rest and slowing down these days a lot (laughs) yeah I want to talk a little bit about so you is POTS an autoimmune disease it's an autonomic disorder. So it depends. Some people have an autoimmune component and some people don't. I, um, I don't, I have other autoimmune stuff going on, but my POTS is not autoimmune to my knowledge. So, um, how does stress impact your flare ups? (laughs) Yeah, this is kind of another thing that led me to you was that I knew that stress was like the worst thing for my POTS. It was the worst thing um, for all the illness that I was going through that having to do with mold. And um, yeah, it's just not good. And so, you know, that vacation time that like having, just having my finances in order just has me so much less stressed. And like, I do feel like it has improved um, my health like tenfold, just like not having the kind of, stress that I have because not knowing how you're going to pay your rent, not knowing if you're going to be able to have a roof above your head is like, I don't know. It's just housing insecurity is just a level of stress that I would not wish upon my worst enemy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, 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 um. <laughs> what I want, what I wanted to ask was, So I've been, the reason why my brain broke for a second is I've been thinking a lot about how we're so often in a state of survival. And then when we actually are in a state of rest, digest, restore, repair, sometimes our nervous system can actually like be like, why are you here? We're supposed to be stressed right now. And I'm wondering if you ever experienced that like, now that things are a lot, a lot calmer for you, do you ever notice mm-hmm. that there's that feeling of like, is the shoe going to drop? Is everything okay? Yeah, there's definitely definitely the feeling of like, oh God. And I think especially the mold thing. For me, like I, I um, you can probably see AJ like behind me, like is my studio. Like, you know, she's cute, but like there's she's not really, really art cute. Thanks. Like, um, you know, but if you look around, like it's, it's pretty like plain. Like it's like, I, I don't really have any artwork. Like, I mean, I only moved in April, but the thing is, is that like, I have like what I need, right. I've got a desk. I've got like some place to sit. I've got a bed <laughs> and you know, I've got some like stuff in my kitchen, but like, I really haven't like started settling in honestly, because I think I'm just afraid that the whole thing's going to happen again. Like I still have not mm. like mentally like recovered from that. But yeah, it's definitely that feeling of like, okay, like when's the next thing going to happen? Because like, I think, you know, like as I kind of go through this money story, it's like my money story is really just like a story of like things going good, stuff in the fan and um, like having to basically start over from scratch over and over and over again. And, um, you know, I, at least this time, don't feel like I'm starting over from like ground zero because I have my finances in order, which is the biggest difference. Wow. It's huge. And so when you're in those states of like, 
I don't want to put artwork on the wall. I'm afraid. Or yeah, am I making too much money? Or can I make this much money? Like, what do you, what's your tool that grounds you back down and, and offers you solace in those moments of fear? Yeah, I think like, so, you know, especially when it comes to kind of like the interior design of my apartment or like clothes or like things like that. Like, for example, I was doing a gig all June. I was working a lot. I was really busy. And when I was doing that, like, I wasn't thinking about like, oh, I need this shirt. I need these shoes. Like, oh, you really need to put some artwork like on the walls. Like I need to make it look a little lived in because I honestly didn't have the time. And, but now that I've like been between gigs, like I haven't started my next gig yet it's been like, okay, like, well, maybe I should do this here and this year. And something that I've kind of constantly realized over time is that like, when I'm creating, I'm not consuming, and I'm not concerned with consuming. So like, for me, whenever I start worrying about like, what I don't have, or like, oh, I want to like, spend money on this or this or this, I just realized that like, no, I think like, would you still want this if you were like on tour right now? Would you still want this if you were working eight shows a week? And if mm. the answer is yes, like, sure, I buy it. But if like the answer is no, then like, no, I don't really need that. That's so powerful. That's such a great perspective of like, that's the way you check yourself. It's like, you know, it's like some people will be like, if you want that food in 20 minutes, you can decide if you want it. I like how you're like, would I want this if I was on tour? Would I want this if I was like being creatively stimulated? No? Okay. I don't want it. Love that. Yeah. Um, The last question I want to ask you about before I get into Secrets Out is, Mm -hmm. so you studied theater and in many facets, you, you did directing, you did tech, you did performing, dance, all that. And now you work pretty much in theater, you know, majority of the year with theater people. And this isn't going to be the first time on this podcast we talk about like that um, artist mentality of like, I have to be poor, I have to be struggling. And I'm curious if about not only your arc, I mean, we can hear from your story how much that's changed, but like specifically referring to being an artist, how that's changed. And then also the the things that you hear now that just don't resonate with you anymore. Yeah, totally. I think that the starving artist mentality runs deep (laughs) in the theater community for sure. Deep. (laughs) And um, I definitely was guilty of it myself. I think growing up, like, you know, I said that my parents like supported me in doing um, performing as my major But something that my dad actually did say to me, he was just like, you have to understand that like, if you're going into this, like you likely will not have a lot of money. And if you're okay with that, like that's fine. But like, just know that if that's the life you're going for, like you just have to be okay with it not being a steady job. And um, so I think that's like always something that's kind of stuck with me about it, like not being steady or that like you can't really, you know, make a living. And I think when you're first starting out, it can definitely feel that way. But um, I think, I don't know, as time's gone on, the more that I know my worth and I don't accept anything less um, is 
when other people start to be like, oh, I can't pay this person like $50 for this. Like I need to pay them like an actual weekly stipend or like a stipend at the end of this that equals like a um, a pretty hefty weekly stipend. Okay, well, we're going to have to budget for that next time. Um, and I think it's like just making hard boundaries about like what, um, what you're worth as an artist. Um, I also, I think I mentioned this to you when we first started working together. One of my ex-girlfriends um, was a sailor and they introduced me to a lot of their sailing friends who are all engineers. And mm. it was the first time I hung out with people that like talked about money and not in like a, oh my God, I'm so broke kind of way. Or like, oh my God, I definitely can't afford this, but here I am like at the bar anyway, <laughs> kind of way. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the moment that I realized I was like, you know what? I really need to stop surrounding my people that just keep saying I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke because then I'm going to be broke, you know? Yep. And so like, I'm really interested in being around people who don't talk about money in that way. And it's not that like, I can't support people who are going through like tough times financially. Like I definitely like been there, done that. I'm totally here for you. I just, um, I just like can't talk about it in the way that I used to and like bring myself like to that place. And I also don't think that serves the other person to bring myself down there. Like I'm, I'm happy to be like, this is where I'm at. Like I like recommending your podcast or like something like that to people who are struggling financially, but just surrounding myself with people who like have ambitious money goals, I guess, which sounds like really superficial, but to me, it is so much less about like fancy dinners or, fancy vacations. It is so much more about when you get your finances in order, you're able to be present in your relationships. And if you're not able to be present in a relationship with me, like I don't want it. Oh my God. (laughs) It's, uh, uh, I'm just like on the floor, except I'm sitting up. Like, I I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I just think you express, you've expressed the essence of this work so well. And I I just can't imagine someone listening to this and not feeling inspired by your journey. And, and the essence of this work is not about, like you said, the fancy cars and the, it's about being present. I, I, I can't get over how well that was articulated. Um, and so thank you so much for, for sharing that and the thoughtfulness of which you your journey, I oh, and the fact that you said, because this is like a life lesson, right? Of not bringing yourself down just to relate and resonate with other people. I struggle with that to this day. Still this feeling of not financially so much, but like when a friend is going through a really difficult time and you're just like, yeah, you know, me too. And you're like, not, or like, you're like, yeah, my... You know, you 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 put you pull yourself down to like m- make them feel better, and exactly what you said, it doesn't serve anybody. Dimming our lights, it it just doesn't. And um, your light is certainly bright and getting brighter every single time I talk to you. So oh, I, you. <laughs> oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much. And so I want to um, ask you a few laser questions, laser beam questions, and the secrets <laughs> out. Yes. Section. <laughs> Secrets out section. Did I'm like, Eric, play all the music. Um, all right. So first question, what's the worst thing you've ever done with money? Um, 
I would say the worst thing I've ever done with money is like treated a savings account, not like a savings account. I forget what you called it, but that like that limbo of like you put in savings, but then like two months later, you're taking it out to like pay rent sort of deal. The savings shimmy. That, that, the savings (laughs) shimmy. Yeah. That was probably the worst thing that I did with money for a long time. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. That's not how your savings works. Yep. Um, Okay. What is the best thing you've ever done with money? Um, I mean, we already touched upon it, but getting my finances in order so that I could be present in my relationships. And I think that also just like saving for my goals and like energetically letting the universe know like this is what I want with my life. And like I'm putting money aside to make it happen. Another thing that I would say just from hearing your story is it sounds like you're willing to say no. Mm. And... And at, you know, as an artist, there's this belief, you know, oh, this opportunity is not going to present itself again, or you have to take it, or at least I get to do art or whatever narrative a lot of people yeah, have. Totally. And you're like, no, I'm willing to say no, because that's not in alignment with my, what I value or I'm not in alignment with um, where I think my worth is and what I give. And yeah, absolutely. That's been like a new theme <laughs> in the past maybe year or so. And just like starting to you know, book more higher paying work, union work, um, and having an agent who also kind of backs me up and like, no, this person's worth this much. And having another person say that just like instills it in me even more. And, um, I also like, I don't know if you know anything about like human design, Have you ever mm-hmm. heard of human design. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm like a generator, um, energy type. And like the big thing I've learned with that is that like generators, it's like when they're doing what they love to do, they light up everyone else and they bring everyone else up. And like, it's actually a disservice for someone who's a generator to be saying yes to things they'd rather say no to. So that's like something that I've definitely been trying to do more of is like only say yes if it's like a hell yes. I love that. And that is so you. Like that is so you. (laughs) You definitely like you being in your light definitely pulls people up for sure. Um, it was really funny at the beginning of the podcast. I thought you were going to say, when you were introducing yourself, I thought you were going to start me like, I'm a Taurus. <laughs> but then you went into you went into something. It was like, it was like, I thought it was going to be Taurus. But I was like, oh, okay. I love it. She's going with the astrology route. So I love that you brought it back to human design. Yeah. I am a Pisces yeah, sun, such Leo Pisces. moon, Aquarius rising. <laughs> yeah. You, there's so, I, you come off so Aquarian. So it makes perfect sense that you're Aquarius. Oh, that Leo moon. That's amazing. Um, Okay. What's the least... Oh, I love this question. Every time I I ask it, I'm like, I love this question. What's the least amount of money that's a lot of money to you? If you lost it or wasted that amount of money, you'd be really upset. And what was it before you got your finances in order? Oh God, it was probably like $50 to $100 before. Um, it's really not all that much more now. Like I would say maybe like 500. Um, that's a lot. That's a big difference. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's I, would, huge. I would, I would say 500 probably. Wow. Um, yeah. Just like thinking about like how much like I have in savings and the thing is like, I'm building up my savings and as someone with a chronic illness, with a service dog, um, you know, I just think that those things, emergencies, quote unquote, like unexpected things happen when you have a chronic illness, when you have a child or a pet, like more often than, I don't know, I guess 
the average person maybe at least in my brain it works like that um so yeah I would say like 500 <laughs> yeah wow that's amazing that's a huge that's that's I mean 50 bucks used to break the bank and now yeah <laughs> 500 is like that really sucks that's really gonna hurt but I'm not yeah. gonna be I'm not gonna like my life isn't gonna be over because of it oh like life being over like feeling like that's a lot but my life's gonna be over I would say actually like probably maybe like 800 to a thousand somewhere around there. I mean, you put it like that. (laughs) Yeah, no, but I think it's good to like have the variance and show like the different, you know, like, damn, that burns. And then you're like, (laughs) no, this is actually like, this is really going to impact like the next few months for me. So it's very cool. Wow. It's incredible. Okay. (laughs) Ooh, I love this one. Okay. The last one. What's a realistic goal that you're working towards now that would have been unrealistic five years ago? Um, Joining the union. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. And with that, um, you know, comes like fancy schmancy retirement fund. Oh, like Yeah. And like health insurance and benefits and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So joining the union, um, also being on TV or in a film. Oh my God. That feels so like happening next year. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think now that I'm like, I never thought that I could like make the, the, I could cross the bridge from like theater to TV film. They just felt like there was such a gap, but I think I'm just after doing a straight play this year, I'm kind of realizing like, Oh no, you're not just a quote unquote musical theater actor. Like you're an actor, like you can do this and have been auditioning for more like TV and film as of recently. And you know, there's, um, I think, it's very exciting just because it's a very different opportunity, but also TV film comes with a lot more working, how do I phrase this? Working very concentrated time on like a very specific product and then having like a lot of like downtime and residuals versus like the eight show a week. Like I'm really excited to try to book a gig like that. I'm so excited. I know that's going to (laughs) happen for you like so soon. I'm sure of it. Wow. Um, Meredith, this has been truly an honor. Such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you? People can find me on my website, MeredithAaliyahWells.com. I'm also on Instagram. Same thing, MeredithAaliyahWells and YouTube at MeredithAaliyahWells as well. (laughs) Incredible. I love to end the podcast by saying, this is my new thing, where I say happy budgeting. (laughs) So... (laughs) I love that. <laughs> I love it. One of um, like one of the recent chorus grad alum said it, and I was like, "This is amazing." I want it. She just like wrote a post, and then she wrote "Happy Budgeting," and I was like, "Oh my god, this is it!" So thank you so much for your time. I cannot wait to see you on the big screen on the silver. Is it the silver screen? What's the? I think TV? that's what they call it. Oh my god, I'm such a theater person. I don't even know. Same. <laughs> The, the silver screen, the big screen, the screen, any screen. I can't wait to see you on. I can't wait for everybody to go follow you. Everybody go follow Meredith on social. It's I every your stuff is always so informative and ins, inspirational and narrative and there's so much there. So I really can't wait for everybody to go and follow you. And happy budgeting. Thanks. Happy budgeting.